When I'm not at one, I need at one meant. So that means someone has to pay. So I was in my garage this last summer, just a few months ago, it was a morning, and uh, I realized very quickly that there were some things in my garage that were out of place. And uh, I kind of don't own cats, but I have cats. Anybody there? You know? So I thought, oh, this could be a cat. And then I got to looking closer, and not a cat, not an animal. Somebody has been in my garage. And I noticed a few things missing, nothing, of, nothing crazy, but there are some missing things. And in my mind, I'm recounting that there had been some break-ins around my neighborhood at that same time. And so um, I also see this... Uh, 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 tackle box, this metal tackle box that I had, um, and it was really dusty. That's how often I go fishing, okay? And I realized that there were like fingerprints. It, that's what it looked like to me as a lay person. And so I'm thinking of all these other break-ins and, you know, nothing, they didn't take anything from me, but maybe the police could come and they could get some fingerprints and maybe we could help some other people, you know, who had more substantial things stolen. And so I called the police and, and they were kind. They came to my garage and uh, the officer and I are talking. He's, he took my license to get my, all my information, all that good stuff, and he starts to fill out his report. And suddenly, um, I look up and just uh, instantly, the, there's this uh, other police officer that has somehow materialized in my, in my garage, and he's kind of standing behind the first police officer, kind of with his hands, you know, at the ready here, and I'm just kind of going, that's, uh, that's odd. And that's, at that very moment, I, I see out of the corner of my eye another squad car come screeching around my corner. And another policeman gets out and heads into my garage. And so now I am trapped, literally, in my garage. There are three police officers looking at me. And the first one hands me back my license and says, Mr. Drake, are you aware that there is a warrant out for your arrest? This is a true story. No, not aware of that. My head is spinning, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I just walk into here? Um, and then on top of that, he follows that with, we are contacting the county that has issued the warrant, and if they want to extradite you, then we're going to need you to come with us. And so now, now I'm facing, okay, this could be handcuffs, this could be a car ride to who knows where, Kansas, I have no idea what's going on. And all of the sudden, my world just was not right. I was not at one with my world. Have you ever had that kind of thing happen to you? Maybe it wasn't a warrant out for your arrest. Um, maybe you haven't had that particular circumstance, but, but you know this feeling where something is said or something is done, and all of a sudden your world is not the world that you thought it was. You're not at one. And when that happens, here's your thought. Someone has to pay for that. We got to fix this, and in order to fix it, somebody has to pay. And so, um, the theological term for that is atonement, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Atonement is actually a created word that has a theological truth behind it, and it comes from three separate English words, at one meant. And that's what it means. Atonement 
is basically a payment that somebody makes so that two people who were estranged can come back together and have a right relationships. And so, uh, in my case, I have a warrant out for my arrest, um, and super awesome story that I will tell you some other time, okay? Uh, but I need, to, I need to keep it really short today. Come to find out, I, I had always thought that uh, I'd been led to believe that there were about four Dusty Drakes on the entire planet, okay? Turns out there are five and the fifth one lives about 90 minutes from here and drives a semi-truck and had some tickets issued for some vehicles that were in his front yard that the local police wanted moved, and he never moved them, he never paid the tickets, and so they issued a warrant. And I'm on the phone with the chief of police of this little town, and he said, I would, I would think that you're crazy, but I know Dusty Drake. I know he's right. He lives right over there. He drives a truck. I, I know, and I know you're not him. And so, here's what must have happened. When your names were entered, your information must have populated the police report. And I said, fix it, <laughs> right? Because somebody has to pay. That's the deal. And he did. It's that way in every broken relationship that you have. Um, maybe somebody says something hurtful to someone and there's a breach in the relationship and until somebody steps into that breach and says, I'm sorry for what I said, until that happens, until somebody pays, then there cannot be at one meant. Or maybe it's behavioral, maybe somebody um, with an action hurts somebody else. It, it, in that case, it won't do to just step forward and just say, I'm sorry, because it was behavioral, right? And so, the payment needs to fit the crime. The payment needs to be behavioral as well. You, you might um, say, I'm sorry, but the offended party might say, okay, that's a first step, but we need to see a change in your behavior. See, the payment has to fit the crime. It's more serious and until I let you back into my life, I need to see some behavioral change. When I'm not at one, I need at one meant, and that means somebody has to pay. So, here's the turn in this whole concept. What happens when we go beyond warrants and beyond verbal arrows and beyond behaviors that might hurt others? What happens when we go a step uh, beyond human relationships and we get to the level of our relationship with God? When it comes to God, it's not just a verbal oversight, it's not just uh, behavioral, it's flat-out rebellion. We talked a few weeks ago about the fall, about Adam and Eve and sin entering into the world, and ever since the garden, we have said to God, I can do this better than you, and that's not just a case of somebody entering the wrong information on a police report. That is insurrection, and this this. This is a cosmic kind of breach that we have created with God. And so, the question is, how can we ever have at-one-ment with God like we had before sin entered the world? Is there a payment that could possibly be made at that kind of cosmic level to offer up to God that would satisfy the penalty of my sin? 
And one of the th- first things that we see coming out of Genesis chapter 3 in the fall and sin entering the world is Genesis chapter 4, and all of a sudden we're introduced to this new concept called sacrifices. Cain uh, offers his sacrifice to God. Abel offers his sacrifice to God. And the, the idea behind sacrifice is that I am offering up something to God as a payment for my sin. And as we continue through the Old Testament, we see the sacrificial system get more and more dialed in until once every year there was an official day of atonement where the high priest would make atonement for, this, for his own sins, for the sins of the nation of Israel, and it involved the slaughter of bulls and goats, and there's way more to it than this. I'm just giving you the thumbnail sketch, but he would take some of the blood from those animals, and he would then go into the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, or the temple, the Holy of Holies in the temple, and there was the Ark of the Covenant that lived in the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle that blood on top of the Ark onto the cover of the ark that was called the mercy seat, or it's also called this, the atonement cover. And he would sprinkle the blood on the atonement cover, and it would cover the sins of the people of Israel. And it was the blood on the mercy seat that that was how sin was forgiven. It was how at-one-ment between God and His people uh, was achieved. And we could say it this way, that Because of the blood, the people were covered, right? That's why it's called the atonement cover. The sacrificial blood was a payment for the penalty of their sin. And in this way, year after year after year, priests would go in, they would sprinkle the blood, and people would have at-one-ment with God, atonement with God. And animals would be sacrificed for sin, and blood would be sprinkled, and God would be with His people, but only for a time because payment had been made. And that's just it. The sacrificial system was never permanent. There, there were always, once the sin was atoned for, there were always new sins, right? You just, you go out of the temple and people are sinning again. They've just had their sin atoned for. And so, there was always an atonement that needed to be made because sin never stopped, so sacrifices never stopped. And on top of that, when you stop to think about it just for a minute or two, you realize it's fairly obvious that this payment that we're making of animals' blood is hardly sufficient. The payment has to equal the crime, right? It has to rise to the level of the offense, and so we have a real problem. Can the blood of animals ever be sufficient payment for the sins of people? Answer, no. And so the whole sacrificial system then becomes just a picture of what is to come, of the real sacrifice that is necessary. And our our text is Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to spend all of uh, this week in Isaiah 53, reading through the chapter in atonement in Core 52. So, we hope you're doing that with us. Um, But today, I want to zero in on verse 5 in this whole chapter. It says this, that He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon Him the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. And Isaiah 53 is one of four poetic sections of the book of Isaiah that are sometimes referred to as the suffering servant songs. And this particular song in chapter 53 describes how there is someone that is going to come 
that will suffer on behalf of the nation, on behalf of the people of God, and as a result, He will bring healing to God's people. And is that what animals did in the sacrificial system? Yes, but they only did it temporarily. But here is the promise of one who will come and bring healing permanently. Last week, we talked about, um, we, we're in a series called Revealed, right? And we're revealing some things about Jesus. We're looking at Old Testament scriptures uh, that have to say uh, who Jesus is. And last week, we talked about Jesus as the Messiah. He's the one that the Israelite people have waited for so long. Next week, we will talk about why we can believe that that's absolutely true. Ian will talk about prophecy next week. It'll be fun. You won't want to miss prophecy. But today, Here's Isaiah 53, and we get another glimpse of the kind of Messiah Jesus is. The people of Israel wanted a Messiah who would conquer uh, the oppressors, that would lay Rome on its back, but Jesus is not that kind of a Messiah. And Isaiah 53 tells us what kind He is. He's a suffering one. And so, how do we know that this is Jesus in Isaiah 53? When we get to the pages of the New Testament, we read a story about an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, he's on his way home from worshiping God in the temple in Jerusalem. And as he travels, he happens to be reading from this very chapter, Isaiah 53, from this very text. And at the very same time, he encounters this guy named Philip. And Philip is a follower of Jesus. And they start a dialogue. And the Ethiopian eunuch decides, uh, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And I'm reading this thing. And I really don't know how, what, what, is, what to make of this scripture. And so, he, he says to Philip, who in the world is this talking about in Isaiah 53? Who is this one to come? And Philip takes that opportunity to proclaim that it's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. It's Jesus who had His hands and feet pierced for us. It's Jesus who had His life crushed for us. It's His character that was demolished. Jesus is the one with wounds because of the cross. Jesus is the payment for our transgressions and for our iniquities that we might have peace and healing with God Himself, that we might have at one meant with God. When I'm not at one with God, I need at one meant. So, someone has to pay. And what we, uh, what we see in Scripture, what is revealed to us today is that Jesus is that payment. He's the substitutionary sacrifice for our sin so that we can have atonement with God. And of course, Philip isn't the only one to say this. Every author of the New Testament, except for James and Jude, write about the substitutionary effect of Jesus' death. And there are a few that I want to put in front of you today because they're worthy of note. In Romans, Paul writes this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, say that word with me, propitiation. You've used that in the last week, haven't you? No, we don't use that word at all. What does that mean? It's a propitiation by His blood to receive by faith. Listen to uh, the same, uh, this, uh, uh, same kind of verse in 1 John. He is the, say it with me, propitiation for our sins, and he's talking about Jesus, and not only for our sins, 
but also for the sins of the whole world. Later in that same letter, 1 John 4, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, as you rattle that word off your tongue, I want you to, in your mind, I want you to go back to the priest going in and sprinkling the blood on the ark because propitiation can also be translated sacrifice of atonement. It can also be translated mercy seat. It can also be translated atonement cover. And so, add to that this, Hebrews 10 says this, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. We talked about that. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, He sat down at the right hand of God, for by a single offering, He has perfected all for all time those who are being sanctified. And so, so here's, here's the picture. Before Jesus… God would come down and He could dwell with His people because they had sacrificed and sprinkled the blood on the atonement cover. And if you know anything about the ark, underneath the atonement cover were, was the law, the law of Moses. And so, it was the law that the people could not live up to. It was the law that told them that they were sinners. But the cover of the ark was sprinkled with blood. And so, when God would come down, what would He see? He wouldn't see the law that separated people from Him. He would see the blood that covered them in their sin. But now, on the cross, they were covered, but just temporarily, because Jesus on the cross has paid for sin once and for all time. Now, when God sees you, if you've trusted in the blood of Jesus, He doesn't first see your sin. He sees Jesus' blood. And what does that mean? It means that Jesus has literally become the atonement cover for you. And that's what the word propitiation means. When I'm not at one, I need at one meant. And so, someone has to pay. And Jesus has paid. He's paid once and our sin is covered, atoned for, for all time. Now, what do we learn from that once for all time atonement that Jesus has made for us? A few things. Let me rattle them off very quickly. Number one, we learn that we are so utterly sinful that we owe a cosmic debt to God that we cannot possibly pay. People quip that Christianity is only for weak people. And what we need to say back is, yeah, absolutely. I am powerless to pay the cosmic debt that I owe to the creator of the universe. I'm powerless to pay what I owe. I need somebody else to do that for me. Here's what we learned. Number two, we are so utterly sinful that to pay the debt we owe takes no less than the death of the very Son of God on a cross. And in that statement, we understand how offensive our sin really is, how serious it really is. We also understand in that statement that the cross becomes the only way that atonement is possible. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And He said that for a reason, and one of the reasons is that no one can make a blood sacrifice that is acceptable to God except Jesus. So His cross is the only way that sins 
are atoned for. Nothing else and nothing less will do. Here's the third thing that we learn from Jesus' substitutionary atonement on the cross, that we are more loved by God than we will ever deserve and always will be. In the 1990s, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio had one of the worst gang scenes in the entire country. When you think of gangs, um, you think L.A., you think New York, maybe, maybe Chicago, but, but Cincinnati, Ohio, no, nobody thinks Cincinnati, but this was one of the worst. And in the 90s, there was a black guy named John, and he was part of one of those gangs, but in his mid-20s, he heard about Jesus. And he started to follow Jesus. He became a believer. He was baptized, and he opened his eyes, and he realized that he needed to leave his gang life behind, and so he did. But he, he realized he couldn't stop there, and so he, he knew that things needed to change in Cincinnati, Ohio, and so he began to work in the very same inner city where he had been a gang member. He got involved with a Christian ministry that was state-funded, and they held after-school programs where they would mentor inner-city kids. And so, as John is working, there's a kid that comes through the door named Willie. And Willie was 16. He was a complete punk, and there was no doubting when he walked through the door of the, the local gang that he was a part of. Willie was white. Willie had a shaved head. He had full sleeves of tats on both arms, and among that artwork were Nazi swastikas and white supremacy slogans. And when he walked through the door, John was assigned to Willie. John was a smart guy. He was a wise Christian, and so he began to work very tactfully with Willie and he helped him with homework, and they started to play basketball together, and John was able to teach Willie about life. It was something that nobody else was teaching Willie in his life. Nobody was guiding him like John, and so Willie would st started to come back, and to come back and back because of John. But as he was going to this after-school program, he was still a part of his gang, and his gang didn't know that he was going to this after-school program because he was pretty sure that that wouldn't go over too well with them. And so it was always on the down low. He made sure that they didn't know, and he would sneak in. And John and Willie, the oddest couple ever, became better and better friends to the point where John was able to lead Willie to follow Jesus as well, and he followed Christ in baptism, became a Christian. And so then John had even more mentoring to do. And so they would study the Bible together. And it didn't take long for Willie to come to John, his black friend, with his white supremacy propaganda inked permanently on his arms. And he said, John, I know this is wrong now. My eyes have been opened, and I've got to get out. I've got to leave this gang chapter of my life behind. But there's only one way to do that, and it's the same way that I got in. And we don't know what he was talking about, but John did because he came from that gang life. And what he was saying is that in order to leave the gang, he would have to allow all of the other gang members to beat him up because that was the way in. To be initiated into a gang in those days, all the other gang members would, would beat you up. And if you survived, then you were in. And so, you want to leave? Same thing. 
You go to your gang brothers and you explain why you want to leave. And if they accept that answer, then they all get to take their turn. And if you survive, then you can leave. And you can bet the beating to get in is nothing compared to the beating to get out. And so you can understand Willie is petrified and he goes to John, I think they're going to kill me when, when they hear that I'm a Christian, that's why they want out, why I want out. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And John said, I will go with you. Willie looked at John and felt compelled to remind him, have you looked at your skin lately? These people hate you without ever having met you. But John, who is... 6'5", he's cut, he's built, he said, I'm going with you. The day comes and Willie and John go to meet Willie's gang and Willie explains to his leaders and his member and the members that he has come to Jesus, that I've become a Christian and I, Jesus has changed my heart and I realize now that the, the hatred I had in my heart for, for guys like John, and he points to John, was wrong. And listen, I'm not here to convince you of anything, he said to his gang members. I, I just know that I cannot live this life anymore, and so I need out, and I'm here to take whatever con the consequences are. And the whole time that Willie is talking, the leader of his gang is looking straight at John. He didn't take his eyes off of John. He's burning holes right through John, and Willie's over here talking. And finally, Willie gets done, and the leader of the gang, without ever breaking his gaze from John, says, Willie, we're going to let you go, but only if this guy takes the beating that you deserve. Willie says, no, 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 can't do that. And just immediately, John steps up and says, okay, okay. You got to understand that John was engaged to be married. He had a whole future ahead of him, but he didn't think of that. He just thought about how his friend Willie needed out of this evil and how much he loved this kid. And so he stepped forward, and a couple of members took his arms. They held him down, and they beat him up so bad that the ordeal almost killed him. They broke almost every rib that he had. His face that should have been perfect for wedding pictures was bruised and bloody and beaten, and they carted him, off, carted him off to a hospital, and Willie walked away unscathed and free. Let me ask you a question. If John's love for Willie was so deep that it could survive that, that it could endure that kind of suffering, is there then anything that Willie could do in the future that would exhaust John's love for him? Say no, no. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is the suffering servant. And when I'm not at one with God, when I need at one meant, someone has to pay. And Jesus has paid. He was beaten and bruised. And I get to walk away unscathed and free. So let me ask you the same question because you're in that boat with me. 
If Jesus endured the penalty of all sin for all time, for you, for me, then what could we ever do that would possibly exhaust that love? There is nothing that we can do that will break his love if he went to the cross for us because he loved us. The price of your sin may be great. Jesus has paid that price so that you can have atonement with God. The series is Revealed. That's the title, and we've been showing some bumpers of gender reveal parties. You know, it's a boy, it's a girl. And the thing about those is that once they know the gender of a baby, they go home, and now they know how to paint the walls, right? It's a boy, let's paint the walls blue. It's a, it's a girl, how about a nice shade of pink? And when we reveal something about Jesus, it's the same thing for us. Now we know how to paint the walls. Jesus paid the penalty of, your, of, of sin on your behalf by the cross so that you can be at one with God. And so how do you paint the walls this week? It's very simple. You run to the cross. When you're hit with your failures, when you're hit with your past, when you're hit with your mistakes, when you're hit for a war- with a warrant for your arrest, run to the cross. That's the only way to be covered, to have sin paid for, is to accept what Jesus did for you on the cross so that you can be at one with God. So the question you have to ask yourself today is, are you covered in that blood? Today you can be. Come and believe. Come in repentance, come in confession, come for baptism, and you can be covered by the blood that was shed for you so that you could be at one with God and atoned for. Father, would you move in power through your word that we might be transformed and that we might never be the same? It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.